Welcome to our Good Friday service at Bentley Baptist. Let's share some things on the significance of what Jesus has done for us on Good Friday. In 2012, the painting The Screen by Edvard Munch became the highest value painting sold. It sold for $119 million. It's seen as the most copied and referred to painting in history, after perhaps the Mona Lisa. It's appeared in movies, on TV, and all through popular culture. It's described as a portrait of the human soul. The screen is said to be the ultimate portrait, not of any particular person, but it describes an experience, an awareness of what the human soul experiences in life. It's pretty full on. Interesting, this portrait of human soul that has so resonated with people over the past 130 years is not a happy image, but one filled with anxiety and pain. I think it resonates because to some degree or another, all of us know what it's like to be upset, to be anxious, to be disturbed. It happens to us in varying degrees, but we know the feeling. And we can point to times in our lives when we've felt like this. Let me share one story. I just finished kindergarten. It's one of my earliest clear memories. On the first day of the second year of school, uh, all the kids were gathered in an upstairs assembly area. I remember sitting in rows. I was at the end of the row. I wasn't sure what was going to happen in this room, but it seemed a pretty big occasion. All the kids were there, all the teachers were there. There was an announcement. A teacher came forward with a clipboard. I heard my name being called. Now. My name was the first on the list in our class, starting with B. I heard my name, I looked up. I had no idea why my name was just called in front of all these people. The teacher looked at me. Others looked at me. I didn't know what to do. I felt unsure, embarrassed. The teacher was annoyed at me. She was angry. She blurted out, Michael Bullard, do you want to stay in kindergarten? Don't you want to start in year one? started to cry. The teacher came over, pointed me in the direction of the new line that I should have been sitting in, the line for year one. It was obviously obvious she was annoyed and angry with me. I felt like I wanted to hide. But she dragged me to this new line. I sat down, now officially in year one, having left kindergarten behind. But something had happened in that moment that I wouldn't easily leave behind. Someone had disapproved of me. I felt smaller, less whole than I did before. It seems like such a small thing, but the truth is that life is filled with many of these small things. And for some people, there are bigger things than this. Thinking about the concept of shame, I also realized that as a husband, parent, friend, pastor, there are also times when I've been the one who has brought shame to others, disapproving of what they've done or who they are. I wish that were not the case, but sadly, I know there are times where that's been true. God help us. I think we connect with the portrait in the screen because we've all had some of these moments in life. Some of us have had many. For some, those moments have come to define us. But all of us know what it's like to feel the scream, 
to feel like this. When you see photographs of people, uh, you can experience, you see they're experiencing something. In these photos, they're experiencing shame. Shame makes us feel like we don't want to be seen. Don't want to be looked at. We cover up our faces. We, we turn away. We feel like something is wrong with us, physically, emotionally, mentally, culturally. And so we hide, we, we lower our face, we withdraw from public, cover our eyes. Generally, we want to hide from the gaze of others. Shame is a powerful feeling. Shame comes to us all throughout our lives. It came to me in the transition from kindergarten to year one. I felt ashamed. I wanted to hide. I think we all know this feeling. It happens when we're treated badly, when we're abused, criticised, especially in family contexts, those close to us. It happens when a feature of our body is shamed by others. It happens in person, it happens online. It happens when we're judged and put into a box by others who don't see us for who we are. It happens when we, we've done something that we know has been wrong and we've, we've violated our own conscience. It's part of living in a world that's not perfect. It leaves us unwilling to try new things, hesitant to take risks, scared that we'll be rejected or mocked, condemning of ourselves. It diminishes us as people. It can leave us living very restricted lives and it can sap our energy and our confidence. We see shame in the first stories of the Bible. Notice that when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, something happened to them. Before this, we are told that they were naked and not ashamed, but now something has changed. They've lost their innocence. And the reaction within them, they don't want to be seen. Uh, they feel their nakedness and they want to hide. It's very interesting at this point to observe that the response of guilt and shame is something that is within them. It is humanity that has turned away from God before any sense of judgment comes from God. God came to meet with them, to chat with them, I think, and discover that they were hiding from him. This something that has happened has caused them to no longer want to or be able to meet with God. So they hide. And although human beings were content to hide and avoid interacting with God, God was not content with that. As God does, God pursues them and presses in to connect. Let's switch gears for a minute. This is a verse from the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. The book of Hebrews talks a lot about how there were sacrifices in the Old Testament, but those sacrifices are no longer required because Jesus has become the perfect fulfillment of those sacrifices. And in this verse, we see a distinction being made between the blood of the sacrifice and the body of the sacrifice. The blood is carried into the most holy place to be a sin offering. The blood is captured from the animal 
and taken by the priest who presents it on the altar. And the idea is the blood proves that a life has been given up. The animal has died as a substitute instead of the person. And so the person goes free, they are forgiven. But the animal has been killed in their place. And that's important to understand about sacrifice. But I wanna to focus today on what happens to the body of the sacrifice. When the body is done with, after the blood has been captured, the body is taken outside the camp and burned. I wanna focus on that today. What happens to the body and what does that mean for us? Verse 12, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. The author of Hebrews is making a point here. Just as the bodies of the Old Testament sacrifices were taken outside the camp, so Jesus suffers outside the city gate. In any empire, uh, city or organization, it's interesting to see what is pushed to the edges outside the city. It gives a hint to what people are ashamed about. Take refugees. You notice that asylum seeker centers are always on the edge of things. They're on islands, deserts, away from everyday life and scrutiny. Toilets tend to be on the outside of things. Abattoirs, the rubbish tip, and the poor tend to live on the edges of towns and cities. Things that bring shame are less presentable and they're pushed to the edges. Look away, we don't want to be identified with this part of our reality, so we push it to the edge. Let's go back to this picture. The people are hiding from God. They are guilty, they're feeling naked and ashamed, hiding away. They're not in a place to be able to meet with God. At this point, God doesn't have a way of connecting with them. By hiding, they've shut God out. Their shame prevents them from interacting with God. And so consequences ensue. They are cast outside the garden. And actually, it's a merciful thing for them to be removed from God's presence. If they remained with God, they would be tortured in their souls. They can't be with God while they are in this situation. God graciously gives them skins to cover their nakedness, to give them a sense of covering the disturbance within. They are cast outside the garden and life goes on in a fallen, kind of unfortunate way. Suffering and disease happen. This is the world we still live in. We're outside the garden. And in many ways, away from interaction with God. And the Old Testament presents us with a management project, the temple. God lives there, but people can't come in. There are sacrifices needed. Uh, a priest will come in on your behalf and only the high priest once a year. Humanity in our shame cannot get close to God. The temple regulations manage the distance between God and humanity. It enables people to connect with God, but only through priests, through rituals and sacrifices. You see, the shame is still present. It hasn't been fixed. It's been managed through the sacrificial system. Let me ask you a question. Back to this picture. How could God engage with the people here? Remember, they have turned away in shame. They are hiding. 
in their present condition, they are unable to connect with God. So how will God connect with them? To do so, he'd have to put aside his scariness, the glory and the power. He'd have to somehow come down to their level. In the picture, he'd have to move towards them, maybe crouch down and join them in their shame. Then he would be with them where they are at and the barriers could fall. Then they could connect again with God. Let's see what God does. This is Mark chapter 2, a story from the life of Jesus. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax with tax collectors and sinners? Contrary to what might be expected of the Son of God, Jesus became a friend of sinners. He connected with the most shamed in society. He came to those whose faces were turned away, those whose heads were bowed, those who are ashamed. People could not turn to God because we were naked and ashamed and hiding. The temple and the sacrificial system had labelled these people as outcasts and unworthy. But Jesus comes into the midst. And even those who are most despised, and the impact is suddenly many people come out of hiding. In him, they encounter God in a way that's accessible to them. And if we believe that Jesus is indeed God who has come to us, then we see that in Jesus, God has come, crouched down and joined people in their shame. When we read the stories about Jesus in the Gospels, that's what we see that God has done. Matthew 27. They spat on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him and stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Verse 33. And they came to a place called Golgotha, place of the skull. They divided his garments by casting lots. Those who passed by mocked him. So also the chief priests with the elders and the scribes mocked him. We see now Jesus approaching the end of his life. It's Easter Friday, the events that we remember today. Jesus is experiencing mocking and humiliation. He's beaten, scourged, ridiculed, and finally crucified. Notice it says they led him away to be crucified. He's taken outside the city. Just like those offerings in the Old Testament. The blood was the life that was given up. But there's no emphasis in the Old Testament sacrifices on suffering, just on death. The animals are not humiliated before they are sacrificed. But there is a strong emphasis on humiliation for this sacrifice, for Jesus. The bodies of sacrifices in the Old Testament were taken outside the camp. Jesus is taken outside the city. These events are too shameful to happen in the city, 
and so they're pushed to the edges. And the culmination of the journey of humiliation for Jesus is, is, is being stripped of his garments. The soldiers gamble for them. And so he's nailed to the cross. He's numbered with the transgressors, publicly charged as a criminal, publicly humiliated. And the mocking and the insults continue. And the sky goes dark. And finally, some hours later, his life ends. It is finished. He dies in the most humiliating and shameful way the empire can devise. Let's go back to this picture. The human beings hiding from God, feeling naked and ashamed, unable to turn and face God. I've emphasised the reality that it's the people who are unable to turn and respond to God. Everything in them compels them to hide away in shame. They can't connect with God under these circumstances. I wonder, is there anything in this picture that you can relate to? Is there an area of life in which this is true for you? You're ashamed in some way. You're hiding. You feel the scream. The world and you are not as they should be. You don't feel worthy of acceptance. You're not confident to turn around and share with God. God may feel distant, angry, threatening. And to the extent we feel like that, we won't turn and connect with God. But the good news is that God knows this. He knows we can't turn to him in our shame. That every part of us, when we feel shame, uh, wants to turn away from him. And knowing this, God has decided to come to us in a different way. He crouches down, he crosses the barrier and joins us in our shame. Jesus left the glory of heaven to become human. He crossed that bridge from heaven to us. In his life, he became a friend of sinners, crossing the bridge of shame and exclusion. And finally, on Good Friday, he was despised and rejected, mocked and beaten. The scariness of God, the power of God, the glory of God is all gone now. He's taken outside the city and crucified. And this is how God now comes to us. And because he comes to us like this, he's reached out over the bridge of our nakedness and shame. Rather than expecting us to turn to him in our shame and overcome it, God has taken the initiative. He's joined us in our shame. He's entered into our struggle. He's become one with us. As Philippians 2 says, he was found in human form and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I wonder how Adam and Eve would have responded to God in the garden if God had approached them like this. In shame. I think things may have been different. 
I suspect they would have been more comfortable turning towards him if he had approached them like this. They would have felt okay about speaking to him, about trusting him, about sharing their struggle with him. For though they've seen in him someone who has entered into their shame, someone who has experienced what they have experienced. What was not possible in the garden has been made possible by the life and death and suffering and humiliation of Jesus. He has become the final sacrifice for sin. Not only in the giving up of his blood to prove a sacrifice has been given in our place, but also in the suffering of his body is entered into the place of our shame and overcome the barrier, the fear and the untrustworthiness in us. He has been despised and rejected by all. He's been taken outside the city and been put to death. Now, our faces no longer have to turn away in shame. We can turn to him in wonder at the grace and mercy and humility of God. That he would come and do this for me, for you, for all of us. We can trust him. We can be restored. We can know that we will not be condemned. We can look now at him and see love instead of condemnation. And this love invites us to turn our faces toward the one who suffered for us, to lift up our heads that are bowed down and know that we have redemption, that he has set us free. Let's pray. God, may we on this day see Jesus in his suffering, in his shame. May you set us free from that reluctance we have to turn to you. May we fully accept your heart of reconciliation for us. Expressed in Jesus, who has given up his life and experienced the depths of shame with us. May our faces turn towards you. May we lift up our heads, knowing that those who look to you are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We come to you, our sin bearer and the carrier of our shame. And we are thankful. We're going to take communion together. I hope you've got some bread and a cup. Uh, it could be wine or juice. And, and if you're with others, uh, you can share it together. And I want to uh, drink, the uh, drink the cup first. The cup is the blood of Jesus that we remember, shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to take the cup. Take the cup in your hand. Thank you, Lord, you've given his life the life of Jesus as a substitute for us, that we have forgiveness of sins in him. Let's drink remembering his life given up, the blood shed for us. And as we focus today on the body, 
the bread that represents the body, the body of Jesus that suffered, the body that experienced the humiliation and rejection, the body that was mocked and scourged, the body that was taken outside the city to the place of shame, the body that was nailed to a cross. Let's take the bread. So take the bread, whatever you have there, share it with those who are with you. Father, thank you that you were not content to leave us in the place of shame and hiding. We couldn't respond to you in glory, so you came in humility. You came into our place of shame. Jesus, in your body you experienced these things so that we can turn our faces back to God. We can lift up our eyes. We can look to you. Thank you that you bore our shame. We eat to remember and we are thankful. Amen. God bless you. I hope uh, you're doing okay. Stay in contact with one another. Remember, we can turn to God. He's come to us. Even in our shame, Jesus has joined us. Amen. God bless you. I'll finish with uh, Psalm 35, verse 4 to 8. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor person called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. God bless you this Easter.